Chapter Five of The Old Adam. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Perard. The Old Adam by Arnold Bennett. Chapter Five. Mr. Sachs Talks. Part One. It was the sudden flash of the photographer's magnesium light, plainly felt by him through his closed lids, that somehow instantly inspired Edward Henry to a definite and ruthless line of action. He opened his eyes and beheld the triumphant group, and the photographer himself, victorious over even the triumphant, in a superb pose that suggested that all distinguished mankind in his presence was naught but food for the conquering camera the photographer smiled indulgently and his smile said having been photographed by me you have each of you reached the summit of your career be content retire die destiny is accomplished mr matcham said rose euclid i do believe your eyes were shut so do i edward henry curtly agreed but you'll spoil the group not a bit of it said edward henry i always shut my eyes when i'm being photographed by flashlight i open my mouth instead so long as something's open what does it matter the truth was that only in the nick of time had he by a happy miracle of ingenuity invented a way of ruining the photograph the absolute necessity for its ruin had presented itself to him rather late in the proceedings when the photographer had already finished arranging the hands and shoulders of everybody in an artistic pattern the photograph had to be spoilt for the imperative reason that his mother though she never read a newspaper did as a fact look at a picture newspaper the daily film which from pride she insisted on paying for out of her own purse at the rate of one halfpenny a day now the daily film specialized in theatrical photographs on which it said it spent large sums of money and edward henry in a vision had seen the historic group in a future issue of the film he had also in the same vision seen his mother conning the said issue and the sardonic curve of her lips as she recognized her son therein and he had even heard her dry cynical contemptuous exclamation bless us he could never have looked squarely in his mother's face again if that group had appeared in her chosen organ her silent and grim scorn would have crushed his self-conceit to a miserable hopeless pulp hence his resolve to render the photograph impossible perhaps i'd better take another one the photographer suggested though i think mr um, matcham was all right at the supreme crisis the man had been too busy with his fireworks to keep a watch on every separate eye and mouth of the assemblage of course i was all right said edward henry almost with brutality please take that thing away as quickly as you can we have business to attend to yes sir agreed the photographer no longer victorious edward henry rang the bell and two gentlemen in waiting arrived clear this table immediately the tone of the command startled everybody except the gentleman in waiting and mr seven sachs 
rose euclid gave vent to her nervous giggle the poet and mr marrier tried to appear detached and dignified and succeeded in appearing guiltily confused for which they contemned themselves despite their volition the glances of all three of them too clearly signified this capitalist must be humoured he has an unlimited supply of actual cash and therefore he has the right to be peculiar moreover we know that he is a card and curiously edward henry himself was deriving great force of character from the simple reflection that he had indeed a lot of money real available money his to do utterly as he liked with it hidden in a secret place in that very room i'll show em what's what he privately mused celebrities or not i'll show em if they think they can come it over me it was i regret to say the state of mind of a bully such is the noxious influence of excessive coin he reproached the greatest actress and the greatest dramatic poet for deceiving him and quite ignored the nevertheless fairly obvious fact that he had first deceived them now then he began with something of the pomposity of a chairman at a director's meeting as soon as the table had been cleared and the room emptied of gentlemen in waiting and photographer and photographic apparatus let us see exactly where we stand he glanced specially at rose euclid who with an air of deep business acumen returned the glance yes she eagerly replied as one seeking after righteousness do let's see the option must be taken up to-morrow good that's clear it came rather casual-like but it's now clear four thousand five hundred pounds has to be paid down to buy the existing building on the land and so on eh yes of course mr bryany told you all that didn't he said rose brightly mr bryany did tell me edward henry admitted sternly but if mr bryany can make a mistake in the day of the week he might make a mistake in a few knots at the end of the sum of money suddenly mr seven socks startled them all by emerging from his silence with the words the figure is okay instinctively edward henry waited for more but no more came mr seven socks was one of those rare and disconcerting persons who do not keep on talking after they have finished he resumed his tranquillity he re-entered into his silence with no symptom of self-consciousness entirely cheerful and at ease and edward henry was aware of his observant and steady gaze edward henry said to himself this man is expecting me to behave in a remarkable way bryany has been telling him all about me and he is waiting to see if i really am as good as my reputation i have just got to be as good as my reputation he looked up at the electric chandelier almost with regret that it was not gas one cannot light one's cigarette by twisting a hundred-pound banknote and sticking it into an electric chandelier moreover there were some thousands of matches on the table still further he had done the cigarette lighting trick once for all a first-class card must not repeat himself this money edward henry proceeded has to be paid to slossons 
lord woldo's solicitors to-morrow wednesday rain or shine he finished the phrase on a note of interrogation and as nobody offered any reply he rapped on the table and repeated half menacingly rain or shine yes said rose euclid leaning timidly forward and taking a cigarette from a gold case that lay on the table all her movements indicated an earnest desire to be thoroughly businesslike so that miss euclid edward henry continued impressively but with a wilful touch of incredulity you are in a position to pay your share of this money to-morrow certainly said miss euclid and it was as if she had said agreed can you doubt my honour to-morrow morning yes that is to say to-morrow morning you will have two thousand two hundred and fifty pounds in actual cash coin notes actually in your possession miss euclid's disengaged hand was feeling out behind her again for some surface upon which to express its emotion and hers well she stopped flushing these people are astounding edward henry reflected like a god she's not got the money i knew it it's like this mr marchin marrier began excuse me mr marrier edward henry turned on him determined if he could to eliminate the optimism from that beaming face any friend of miss euclid's is welcome here but you've already talked about this theatre as ours and i just want to know where you come in where i come in marrier smiled absolutely unperturbed miss euclid has appointed me general manager at what salary if it isn't a rude question oh we haven't settled details yet you see the theatre isn't built yet true said edward henry i was forgetting i was thinking for the moment that the theatre was all ready and going to be open to-morrow night with the orient pearl have you had much experience of managing theatres mr marrier i suppose you have ahem yes exclaimed mr marrier i began life as a lawyer's clerk but so did i edward henry interjected how interesting rose euclid murmured with fervency after puffing forth a long shaft of smoke however i threw it up marrier went on i didn't said edward henry i got thrown out strange that in that moment he was positively proud of having been dismissed from his first situation strange that all the company too thought the better of him for having been dismissed strange that marrier regretted that he also had not been dismissed but so it was the possession of much ready money emits a peculiar effluence in both directions back to the past forward into the future i threw it up said marrier because the stage had an irresistible attraction for me i'd been stage manager for an amateur company you know i found a shop as stage manager of a company touring uncle tom's cabin i stuck to that for six years and then i threw that up too then i've managed one of miss euclid's provincial tours and since i met our friend print i've had the chance to show what my ideas about play-producing really are 
i fancy my production of trent's one-act play won't be forgotten in a hurry you know the nymph you read about it didn't you i did not said edward henry how long did it run oh it didn't run it wasn't put on for a run it was part of one of the sunday night shows of the play-producing society at the court theatre most intellectual people in london you know no such audience anywhere else in the world his rather chubby face glistened and shimmered with enthusiasm you bet he added but that was only by the way my real game is management general management and i think i may say i know what it is evidently edward henry concurred but shall you have to give up any other engagement in order to take charge of the muses theatre because if so mr merrier replied no edward henry observed oh but said merrier reassuringly if necessary i would throw up any engagement you understand me any in favour of the intellectual theatre as i prefer to call it you see as i own part of the option by these last words edward henry was confounded even to muteness i forgot to mention mr matcham said rosa euclid very quickly i've disposed of a quarter of my half of the option to mr marrier he fully agreed with me it was better that he should have a proper interest in the theatre why of course cried mr marrier uplifted let me see said edward henry after a long breath a quarter that makes it that you have to find five hundred and sixty two pounds ten shillings mr marrier yes to-morrow morning you'll be all right well i won't swear for the morning but i shall turn up with the stuff in the afternoon anyhow i've two men in tow and one of them's a certainty which i don't know which said mr marrier however you may count on yours sincerely mr matcham there was a pause perhaps i ought to tell you rose euclid smiled perhaps i ought to tell you that mr trent is also one of our partners he has taken another quarter of my half edward henry controlled himself excellent said he with glee mr trent's money already too i am providing most of it temporarily said rose euclid i see then i understand you have your three-quarters of two thousand two hundred and fifty pounds already in hand she glanced at mr seven sachs have i mr sachs and mr sachs after an instant's hesitation bowed in assent mr sachs is not exactly going into the speculation but he is lending us money on the security of our interests that's the way to put it isn't it mr sachs mr sachs once more bowed and edward henry exclaimed now i really do see he gave one glance across the table at mr seven sachs as who should say and have you too allowed yourself to be dragged into this affair i really thought you were cleverer don't you agree with me that we're both fools of the most errant description and under the brief glance mr seven sachs calm deserted him as it had never deserted him on the stage where for over fifteen hundred nights he had withstood the menace of revolvers poison and female treachery through three hours and four acts without a single moment 
of agitation apparently miss rose euclid could exercise a siren's charm upon nearly all sorts of men but edward henry knew one sort of men upon whom she could not exercise it namely the sort of men who were born and bred in the five towns his instinctive belief in the five towns as the sole cradle of hard practical common sense was never stronger than just now you might by wiles get the better of london and america but not of the five towns if rose euclid were to go around and about the five towns trying to do the siren business she would pretty soon discover that she was up against something rather special in the way of human nature why the probability was that these three rose euclid only a few hours since a glorious name and legend to him carlo trent and mr marrier could not at that moment produce even ten pounds between them and marrier offering to lay fibres he scornfully pitied them and he was not altogether without pity for seven sachs who had doubtless succeeded in life by sheer accident and knew no more than an infant what to do with his too easily earned money part two well said edward henry shall i tell you what i've decided please do rose euclid entreated him i've decided to make you a present of my half of the option but aren't you going in with us exclaimed rose horror-struck no madam but mr bryany told us positively you were he said it was all arranged mr bryany ought to be more careful said edward henry if he doesn't mind he'll be telling a downright lie some day but you bought half the option well said edward henry reasoning what is an option what does it mean it means you are free to take something or leave it i'm leaving it but why demanded mr marrier gloomier carlo trent played with his eyeglasses and said not a word why edward henry replied simply because i feel i'm not fitted for the job i don't know enough i don't understand i shouldn't go the right way about the affair for instance i should never have guessed by myself that it was the proper thing to settle the name of the theatre before you'd got the lease of the land you're going to build it on then i'm old-fashioned i hate leaving things to the last moment but seemingly there's only one proper moment in these theatrical affairs and that's the very last i'm afraid there'd be too much trusting in providence for my taste i believe in trusting in providence but i can't bear to see providence overworked and i've never even tried to be intellectual and i'm a bit frightened of poetry plays but you've not read my play carlo trent mutteringly protested that is so admitted edward henry will you read it mr trent said edward henry i'm not so young as i was we're ruined sighed rose euclid with a tragic gesture ruined edward henry took her up smiling nobody is ruined who knows where he can get a square meal do you mean to tell me you don't know where you're going to lunch to-morrow and he looked hard at her it was a blow she blenched under it oh yes she said with her giggle i know that well you just don't he answered her in his heart you think you're going to lunch with john pilgrim and you aren't and it serves you right 
besides he continued aloud how can you say you're ruined when i'm making you a present of something that i paid one hundred pounds for but where am i to find the other half of the money two thousand two hundred and fifty pounds she burst out we were depending absolutely on you for it if i don't get it the option will be lost and the option's very valuable all the easier to find the money then what in less than twenty-four hours it can't be done i couldn't get it in all london mr marrier will get it for you one of his certainties edward henry smiled in the five towns manner i might you know said marrier brightening to full hope in the fraction of a second but rose euclid only shook her head mr seven socks then edward henry suggested i should have been delighted said mr sachs with the most perfect gracious tranquillity but i cannot find another two thousand two hundred and fifty pounds to-morrow i shall just speak to that mr bryany said rose euclid in the accents of homicide i think you ought to edward henry concurred but that won't help things i feel a little responsible especially to a lady you have a quarter of the whole option left in your hands miss euclid i'll pay you at the same rate as bryany sold to me i gave one hundred pounds for half your quarter is therefore worth fifty pounds well i'll pay you fifty pounds and then what then let the whole affair slide but that won't help me to my theatre rose euclid said pouting she was now decidedly less unhappy than her face pretended because edward henry had reminded her of sir john pilgrim and she had dreams of world triumphs for herself and for carlo trent's play she was almost glad to be rid of all the worry of the horrid little prospective theatre i have banknotes cooed edward henry softly her head sank edward henry rose in the incomparable yellow dressing-gown and walked to and fro a little and then from his secret store he produced a bundle of notes and counted out five tens and coming behind rose stretched out his arm and laid the treasure on the table in front of her under the brilliant chandelier i don't want you to feel you have anything against me he cooed still more softly silence reigned edward henry resumed his chair and gazed at rose euclid she was quite a dozen years older than his wife and she looked more than a dozen years older she had no fixed home no husband no children no regular situation she accepted the homage of young men who were cleverer than herself save in one important respect she was always in and out of restaurants and hotels and express trains she was always committing hygienic indiscretions she could not refrain from a certain girlishness which having regard to her years her waist and her complexion was ridiculous his wife would have been afraid of her and would have despised her simultaneously she was coarsened by the continual gaze of the gaping public no two women could possibly be more utterly dissimilar than rose euclid and the cloistered nelly and yet as rose euclid's hesitant fingers closed on the banknotes with a gesture of relief edward henry had an agreeable and kindly sensation that all women were alike after all in the need of a shield a protection 
a strong and generous male hand he was touched by the spectacle of rose euclid as naive as any young lass when confronted by actual banknotes and he was touched also by the thought of nelly and the children afar off existing in comfort and peace but utterly wistfully dependent on himself and what about me growled carlo trent you the fellow was only a poet he negligently dropped him five fivers his share of the option's value mr marion said nothing but as i met edward henry's and in silence five fivers were meted out to mr marion also it was so easy to delight these persons who apparently seldom set eyes on real ready money you might sign receipts all of you just as a matter of form said edward henry a little later the three associates were off as we're both in the hotel mr sachs said edward henry you might stay for a chat and a drink mr seven sachs politely agreed edward henry accompanied the trio of worshippers and worshipped to the door of his suite but no further because of his dressing gown rose euclid had assumed a resplendent opera cloak they rang imperially for the lift lackeys bowed humbly before them they spoke of taxicabs and other luxuries they were perfectly at home in the grandeur of the hotel as the illuminated lift carried them down out of sight their smiling heads disappearing last they seemed exactly like persons of extreme wealth and indeed for the moment they were wealthy they had parted with certain hopes but they had had a windfall and two of them were looking forward with absolute assurance to a profitable meal and deal with sir john pilgrim on the morrow funny place london said the provincial to himself as he re-entered his suite to rejoin mr seven sachs part three well sir said mr seven sachs i have to thank you for getting me out of a very unsatisfactory situation did you really want to get out of it asked edward henry mr sachs replied simply i did sir there were too many partners for my taste they were seated more familiarly now in the drawing-room being indeed separated only by a small table upon which were glasses and whereas on a night in the previous week edward henry had been entertained by mr bryany in a private parlour at the turk's head hanbridge on this night he was in a sort repaying the welcome to mr bryany's master in a private parlour at wilkins london the sole difference in favour of mr bryany was that while mr bryany provided cigarettes and whisky edward henry was providing only cigarettes and vichy water mr seven sachs had said that he never took whisky and though edward henry's passion for vichy water was not quite ungovernable he thought well to give rein to it on the present occasion having read somewhere that vichy water placated the stomach joseph had been instructed to retire and not only that resumed mr seven sachs but you've got a very good thing entirely into your own hands masterly sir masterly why at the end you positively had the air of doing them a favour you made them believe you were doing them a favour and don't you think i was mr sachs reflected and then laughed you were he said that's the beauty of it 
but at the same time you were getting away with the goods it was by sheer instinct and not by learning that edward henry fully grasped as he did the deep significance of the american idiom employed by mr seven sachs he too laughed as mr sachs had laughed he was immeasurably flattered he had not been so flattered since the countess of Schell had permitted him to offer her china tea meringues and berlin pancakes at the sub rosa's tea-rooms in hanbridge and that was a very long time ago you really do think it's a good thing edward henry ventured for he had not yet been convinced of the entire goodness of theatrical enterprise near piccadilly circus mr seven sachs convinced him not by argument but by the sincerity of his gestures and tones for it was impossible to question that mr seven sachs knew what he was talking about the shape of mr seven sachs chin was alone enough to prove that mr sachs was incapable of a mere ignorant effervescence everything about mr sachs was persuasive and confidence-inspiring his long silences had the easy vigor of oratory and they served also to make his speech peculiarly impressive moreover he was a handsome and a dark man and probably half a dozen years younger than edward henry and the discipline of limelight had taught him the skill to be forever graceful and his smile rare enough was that of a boy of course said he if miss euclid and the others had had any sense they might have done very well for themselves if you ask me the option alone is worth ten thousand dollars but then they haven't any sense and that's all there is to it so you'd advise me to go ahead with the affair on my own mr seven sachs his black eyes twinkling leaned forward and became rather intimately humorous you look as if you wanted advice don't you said he i suppose i do now i come to think of it agreed edward henry with a most admirable quizzicalness in spite of the fact that he had not really meant to go ahead with the affair being in truth a little doubtful of his capacity to handle it but mr seven sachs was all unconsciously forcing edward henry to believe in his own capacities and the two as it were suddenly developed a more cordial friendliness each felt the quick lifting of the plane of their relations and was aware of a pleasurable emotion i'm moving onwards gently onwards crooned edward henry to himself what price brindley and his half-crown now londoners might call him a provincial and undoubtedly would call him a provincial he admitted even that he felt like a provincial in the streets of london and yet here he was doing londoners in the eye all over the place and receiving the open homage of mr seven sachs whose name was the basis of a cosmopolitan legend and now he made the cardinal discovery which marks an epoch in the life of every man who arrives at it that world-celebrated persons are very like other persons and he was happy and rather proud in this discovery and began to feel a certain vague desire to tell mr seven sachs the history of his career or at any rate the picturesque portions of it for he too was famous in his own sphere and in the drawing-room of wilkins one celebrity was hobnobbing with another put that in your pipe and smoke it mr brindley yes 
he was happy both in what he had already accomplished and in the contemplation of romantic adventures to come and yet his happiness was marred not fatally but quite appreciably by a remorse that no amount of private argument with himself would conjure away which was the more singular in that a morbid tendency to remorse had never been among edward henry's defects he was worrying foolish fellow about the false telephone call in which for the purpose of testing rose euclid's loyalty to the new enterprise he had pretended to be the new private secretary of sir john pilgrim yet what harm had it done and had it not done a lot of good rose euclid and her youthful worshipper were no worse off than they had been before being victimized by the deceit of the telephone call prior to the call they had assumed themselves to be deprived forever of the benefits which association with sir john pilgrim could offer and as a fact they were deprived forever of such benefits nothing changed there before the call they had had no hope of lunching with the enormous sir john on the morrow and as a fact they would not lunch with the enormous sir john on the morrow nothing changed there either again in no event would edward henry have joined the trio in order to make a quartet in partnership even had he been as convinced of rose's loyalty as he was convinced of her disloyalty he would never have been rash enough to co-operate with such a crew again nothing changed on the other hand he had acquired an assurance of the artiste's duplicity which assurance had made it easier for him to disappoint her while the prospect of a business repast with sir john had helped her to bear the disappointment as a brave woman should it was true that on the morrow about lunch-time rose euclid and carlo trent might have to live through a few rather trying moments and they would certainly be very angry but these drawbacks would have been more than compensated for in advance by the pleasures of hope and had they not between them pocketed seventy-five pounds which they had stood to lose such reasoning was unanswerable and his remorse did not attempt to answer it his remorse was not open to reason it was one of those stupid primitive sentiments which obstinately persist in the refined and rational fabric of modern humanity he was just sorry for rose euclid do you know what i did he burst out confidentially and confessed the whole telephone trick to mr seven sachs mr seven sachs somewhat to edward henry's surprise expressed high admiration of the device a bit mean though don't you think edward henry protested weakly not at all cried mr sachs you got the goods on her and she deserved it again this enigmatic and mystical word goods but he understood it thus encouraged he was now quite determined to give mr seven sachs a brief episodic account of his career a fair conversational opening was all he wanted in order to begin i wonder what will happen to her ultimately he said meaning to work back from the ends of careers to their beginnings and so to himself rose euclid yes mr sachs shook his head compassionately how did mr bryany get in with her asked edward henry bryany is a highly peculiar person said mr seven sachs familiarly 
he's all right so long as you don't unstrap him he was born to convince newspaper reporters of his own greatness i had a bit of a talk with him myself said edward henry oh yes he told me all about you but i never told him anything about myself said edward henry quickly no but he has eyes you know and ears too seems to me the people of the five towns do little else of a night but discuss you mr matcham i heard a good bit when i was down there though i don't go about much when i'm on the road i reckon i could write a whole biography of you edward henry smiled self-consciously he was of course enraptured but at the same time it was disappointing to find mr sachs already so fully informed as to the details of his career however he did not intend to let that prevent him from telling the story afresh in his own manner i suppose you've had your adventures too he remarked with nonchalance partly from politeness but mainly in order to avoid the appearance of hurry in his egotism part four you bet i have mr seven sachs cordially agreed abandoning the end of a cigarette putting his hands behind his head and crossing his legs whereupon there was a brief pause i remember edward henry began i dare say you've heard began mr seven sachs simultaneously they were like two men who by inadvertence had attempted to pass through a narrow doorway abreast edward henry as the host drew back i beg your pardon he apologized not at all said seven sachs i was only going to say you probably heard that i was always up against archibald florence really murmured edward henry impressed in spite of himself for the renown of archibald florence exceeded that of seven sachs as the sun the moon and was older and more securely established than it as the sun the moon the renown of rose euclid was as naught to it doubtful it was whether in the annals of modern histrionics the grandeur and the romance of that american name could be surpassed by any renown save that of the incomparable henry irving the retirement of archibald florence from the stage a couple of years earlier had caused crimson gleams of sunset splendour to shoot across the atlantic and irradiate even the garrick club london so that the members thereof had to shade their offended eyes edward henry had never seen archibald florence but it was not necessary to have seen him in order to appreciate the majesty of his glory no male in the history of the world was ever more photographed and few have been the subject of more anecdotes i expect he's a wealthy chap in his old age said edward henry wealthy exclaimed mr sachs he's the richest actor in america and that's saying in the world he had the greatest reputation he's still the handsomest man in the united states that's admitted with his white hair they used to say he was the cruelest but it's not so though of course he could be a perfect terror with his companies and so you knew archibald florence you bet i did he never had any friends never but i knew him as well as anybody could why in san francisco after the show i walked with him back to his hotel and he's walked with me back to mine and so on and so on till three or four o'clock in the morning 
you see we couldn't stop until it happened that he finished a cigar at the exact moment when we got to his hotel door if the cigar wasn't finished then he must needs stroll back a bit and before i knew where i was he'd be lighting a fresh one he smoked the finest cigars in america i remember him telling me they cost him three dollars apiece and edward henry then perceived another profound truth his second cardinal discovery on that notable evening namely that no matter how high you rise you will always find that others have risen higher nay it is not until you have achieved a considerable peak that you are able to appreciate the loftiness of those mightier summits he himself was high and so he could judge the greater height of seven socks and it was only through the greater height of seven socks that he could form an adequate idea of the pinnacle occupied by the unique archibald florence honestly he had never dreamt that there existed a man who habitually smoked twelve shilling cigars and yet he reckoned to know a thing or two about cigars i am nothing he thought modestly nevertheless though the savour of the name of archibald florence was agreeable he decided that he had heard enough for the moment about archibald florence and that he would relate to mr sachs the famous episode of his own career in which the countess of chelles and a mule had so prominently performed i remember he recommenced my first encounter with archibald florence was very funny proceeded mr seven sachs blandly deaf i was starving in new york trying to sell a new razor on commission and i was determined to get on to the stage i had one visiting card left just one i wrote important on it and sent it up to wunch i don't know whether you've ever heard of wunch wunch was archibald florence's stage manager and nearly as famous as archibald himself well wunch sent for me upstairs to his room but when he found i was only the usual youngster after the usual job he just had me thrown out of the theatre he said i'd no right to put important on a visiting card well i said to myself i'm going to get back into that theatre somehow so i went up to archibald's private house sixtieth street i think it was and asked to see him and i saw him when i got into his room he was writing he kept on writing for some minutes and then he swung round on his chair and what can i do for you sir he said do you want any actors mr florence i said are you an actor he said i want to be one i said well he said there's a school round the corner well i said you might give me a card of introduction mr florence he gave me the card i didn't take it to the school i went straight back to the theatre with it and had it sent up to lunch it just said introducing mr sachs a young man anxious to get on wunch took it for a positive order to find me a place the company was full so he threw out one poor devil of a super to make room for me curious thing old wunchy got it into his head that i was a protege of archibald's and he always looked after me what do you think about that brilliant said edward henry and it was the simplicity of the thing was what impressed him since winning a scholarship at school by altering the number of marks opposite his name on a paper lying on the master's desk edward henry had never achieved advancement by a device so simple and he thought 
i am nothing the five towns is nothing all that one hears about americans and the united states is true as far as getting on goes they can make rings round us still i shall tell him about the countess and the mule yes continued mr seven sachs munch was very kind to me but he was pretty well down and out and he left and archibald got a new stage manager and i was promoted to do a bit of assistant stage managing but i got no increase of salary there were two women stars in the play archibald was doing them the forty-niners romantic drama you know melodrama you'd call it over here he never did any other sort of play well these two women stars were about equal and when the curtain fell on the first act they'd both make a bee-line for archibald to see who'd get to him first and engage him in talk they were jealous enough of each other to kill anybody could see that archibald was frightfully bored but he couldn't escape they got him on both sides you see and he just had to talk to him both at once i used to be fussing around fixing the properties for the next act well one night he comes up to me archibald does and he says mister what's your name sucks sir i says you notice when those two ladies come up to me after the first act well when you see them talking to me i want you to come right along and interrupt he says what shall i say sir tap me on the shoulder and say i'm wanted about something very urgent you see so the next night when those women got hold of him sure enough i went up between them and tapped him on the shoulder mr florence i said something very urgent he turned on me and scowled what is it he said and he looked very angry it was a bit of the best acting the old man ever did in his life it was so good that at first i thought it was real he said again louder what is it so i said well mr florence the most urgent thing in this theatre is that i should have an increase in salary i guess i lit the stuffing out of him that time edward henry gave vent to one of those cordial and violent guffaws which are a specialty of the humorous side of the five towns and he said to himself i should never have thought of anything as good as that and did you get it he asked the old man said not a word mr seven sachs went on in the same even tranquil smiling voice but next payday i found i'd got a rise of ten dollars a week and not only that but mr florence offered me a singing part in his new drama if i could play the mandolin i naturally told him i'd played the mandolin all my life i went out and bought a mandolin and hired a teacher he wanted to teach me the mandolin but i only wanted him to teach me that one accompaniment so i fired him and practiced by myself night and day for a week i got through all the rehearsals without ever singing that song cleverest dodging i ever did on the first night i was so nervous i could scarcely hold the mandolin i'd never played the infernal thing before anybody at all only up in my bedroom i struck the first chord and found the darn instrument was all out of tune with the orchestra so i just pretended to play it and squawked away with my song and never let my fingers touch the strings at all old florence was waiting for me in the wings i knew he was going to fire me but no socks he said that accompaniment was the most delicate piece of playing i ever heard i congratulate you he was quite serious everybody said the same luck eh i should say so said edward henry 
gradually beginning to be interested in the odyssey of mr seven sachs i remember a funny thing that happened to me however mr sachs swept smoothly along that piece was a failure and archibald arranged to take a company to europe with forty-niners and i was left out this rattled me especially after the way he liked my mandolin playing so i went to see him about it in his dressing-room one night and i charged around a bit he did rattle me then i raided him i would get an answer out of him he said i'm not in the habit of being cross-examined in my own dressing-room i didn't care what happened then so i said and i'm not in the habit of being treated as you're treating me all of a sudden he became quite quiet and patted me on the shoulder you're getting on very well sachs he said you've only been at it one year it's taken me twenty-five years to get where i am however i was too angry to stand for that sort of talk i said to him i dare say you're a very great and enviable man mr florence but i propose to save fifteen years on your twenty-five i'll equal or better your position in ten years he shoved me out just shoved me out of the room it was that that made me turn to playwriting florence wrote his own plays sometimes but it was only his acting in his face that saved them and they were too american he never did really well outside america except in one play and that wasn't his own now i was out after money and i still am i wanted to please the largest possible public so i guess there was nothing for it but the universal appeal i never write a play that won't appeal to england germany france just as well as to america america's big but it isn't big enough for me well as i was saying soon after that i got a one-act play produced at hannibal missouri and the same week there was a company at another theatre there playing the old man's forty-niners and the next morning the theatrical critic's article in the hannibal courier post was headed rival attractions archibald florence's forty-niners and new play by seven socks i cut that heading out and sent it to the old man in london and i wrote under it see how far i've got in six months when he came back he took me into his company again what price that eh edward henry could only nod his head the customarily silent seven socks had little by little subdued him to an admiration as mute as it was profound nearly five years after that i got a christmas card from old florence it had the usual printed wishes merriest possible christmas and so on but underneath that archibald had written in pencil you still five years to go that made me roll my sleeves up as you may say well a long time after that i was standing at the corner of broadway and forty-fourth street and looking at my own name in electric letters on the criterion theatre first time i'd ever seen it in electric letters on broadway it was the first night of overheard florence was playing at the hudson theatre which is a bit higher up forty-fourth street and his name was in electric letters too but further off broadway than mine i strolled up just out of idle curiosity and there the old man was standing in the porch of the theatre all alone hello socks he said i'm glad i've seen you it saved me twenty-five cents i asked how he said i was just going to send you a telegram of congratulations he liked me old archibald did he still does but i hadn't done with him 
i went to stay with him at his house on long island in the spring excuse me mr florence i says to him how many companies have you got on the road he said oh i haven't got many now five i think well i says i've got six here in the united states two in england three in austria and one in italy he said have a cigar socks you've got the goods on me he was living in that magnificent house all alone with a whole regiment of servants part five well said edward henry you're a great man no i'm not said mr seven socks but my income is four hundred thousand dollars a year and rising i'm out after the stuff that's all i say you are a great man edward henry repeated mr sock's recital had inspired him he kept saying to himself and i'm a great man too and i'll show him mr sock's having delivered himself of his load had now lapsed comfortably back into his original silence and was prepared to listen but edward henry somehow had lost the desire to enlarge on his own variegated past he was absorbed in the greater future at length he said very distinctly you honestly think i could run a theatre you were born to run a theatre said seven socks thrilled edward henry responded then i'll write to those lawyer people slossons and tell em i'll be around with a brass about eleven to-morrow mr socks rose a clock had delicately chimed too if ever you come to new york and i can do anything for you said mr socks heartily thanks said edward henry they were shaking hands i say edward henry went on there's one thing i want to ask you why did you promise to back rose euclid and her friends you must surely have known he threw up his hands mr socks answered i'll be frank with you it was her cousin that persuaded me into it elsie april elsie april who's she oh you must have seen them about together her and rose euclid they're nearly always together i saw her in the restaurant here to-day with a rather jolly girl blue hat that's the one as soon as you've made her acquaintance you'll understand what i mean said mr seven sachs ah but i'm not a bachelor like you edward henry smiled archly well you'll see when you meet her said mr sachs upon which enigmatic warning he departed and was lost in the immense glittering nocturnal silence of wilkins's edward henry sat down to write to slossons by the three a m post but as he wrote he kept saying to himself so elsie april's her name is it and she actually persuaded socks socks to make a fool of himself End of chapter five